Welcome back to Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys Rewatch podcast. As a reminder, this is a rewatch podcast, which means we've seen the entire series and hopefully you have too, because we will spoil it from the end to the beginning. We have a very special episode because today Beep and Cece are joined by Mr. Terry Metallis to discuss his amazing finale, episode 213, Memory of Tomorrow. A quick note for you guys, in the middle of this, around minutes 43 to 60, there is a treatise on the importance of endings that specifically surrounds Game of Thrones. If that's a show you either don't watch or don't want to be spoiled on, please go ahead and skip that section. And without further ado, here's our conversation with Terry. All right, Terry, welcome back. Hi. I'm happy to be here on a Sunday morning. Happy Memorial Day. Or tomorrow's Memorial Day, I suppose. But And for you listening, you've already had your Memorial Day, which is perfect <laughs> for a time travel show. <laughs> um, you just finished watching, right, the episode? Yeah, I woke up, poured myself uh, some espresso and, uh, and watched it. I haven't watched it in years. I think, yeah, I've watched like parts, but yeah, watching it all the way through was, was really weird, especially out of context, because so much of that episode relies on the momentum of 11 and 12, mm-hmm. you know, right before it. So just like dropping in, you're like, whoa, man, it, it moves very fast. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and you wrote this episode. Mm. Um, how did you, can you tell us a little bit, if you can remember back, you are, because <clears throat> in some ways this episode is wrapping up a lot of what you've been building for two seasons and then kind of breaking it all open for the rest of the story. Yeah. So when you were approaching writing it, what were your goals sort of not only plot mythology wise, but character wise? Well, you know, it's, it was a big deal to have Cassie and Cole openly in a relationship um, and doing this full romance. Uh, that was really scary to me um, because, <clears throat> you know, that's where TV can go to die. Um, when two characters, you know, you've been hoping, you know, doing the will they, won't they uh, thing with suddenly get together is the tension gone um and then and what is that chemistry going to be pardon me and so um it was you know we were nervous because you you and i mean you only get you know uh, a a little bit of a glimpse of it but what so was so great about um how it played out was you know i remember i was like well christmas played a major part of the movie so i was like "I, i know i want that to be a thing plus there's like you uh, whether you're you know celebrate christmas or not the holidays in general have this warmer feeling there's like a there's an amped emotion of uh, of closeness to people around you so it felt like a good place to drop in and and see this new colin cassie um and then maybe you would bring some of your own you know holiday emotions into it you know along the way uh so uh, it worked out pretty good. And, and I think the main thing was <clears throat> how great um, Aaron and Amanda are. Uh, the the stuff in the house where they're opening up their Christmas presents, we, we block shot all that. So that means the love scene, uh, the blood wash away in the sink stuff, the Christmas stuff. There's a dance that we've cut to a couple times uh, that's in the Blu-ray 
uh, deleted scenes. It's a, he comes home and they dance in the living room and kiss. Um, all that stuff was shot at the very end of season two was the last thing we did. So, um, it was nice because we were, and we've talked about this before. I think Aaron has mentioned it was like making this little indie movie where it was just, uh, you know, uh, Amanda, Aaron and me trying to figure out how to make this good. Um, and they, you know, they have such a natural chemistry. I was like, even this morning when, uh, he opens up the Christmas present and it's the razor <laughs> and he just says, no, her laugh <laughs> is so genuinely Amanda. Um, they, it's, 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 you're seeing the best of them as well on screen. So it, it was anyway, so that was, that was really the goal of, of the script is really make you invest in these two and then tear them apart again. Yeah, you kind of, you crank up the angst big time in this one. It's another, yeah. we're going to give you everything you want, and then we're going to strip it all away in yeah. one episode. Do you have any, I, I mean, I know we talked a little bit about this last week, but when you go back on rewatch, and, you know, now we know that we're watching what is, you know, essentially in the story, the happiest time in these two characters' lives. Mm. And how that's going to also be looked back with loss and thinking about what Cassie's thinking about, you know, at the end um, when she's contemplating whether, you know, like ending the world to get back to this place. Did did you have sort of any thoughts or like as you guys were talking about in the writer's room going back to this moment? Because now it really, at least for me, it hits me in a different way. Um, you mean, did we have talks during seasons three and four about going back to these moments or or just as you're watching it play out now? Um, oh, well, for sure. I mean, actually, I mean, you know, it's when you're part of this process, it's hard not to see, um, what you view as the warts, you know, or, or the woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, um, I think. Ideally, if you you know if you knew the show had six seasons, you you know it's funny when you listen to your podcast. You're like, why isn't eleven you know two eleven a finale, or why isn't two twelve a finale? Um, and they all very well could have been. They all you know you could have done an entire season, you know you know ended season two at two eleven and then started season three uh, on their way to Titan and then told the story of Cassie and Cole in their year trying to find the primary um, and then them back in time and presuming it's over. There's hundreds of stories that we've all, we've talked about in the room. Um, You could have done that, but we, you know, you're not sure. There's no guarantee you're coming back for season three. So, you know, we're just like, let's go for it. Let's tell the story. And, and, and there it's, you had to get to, I think a point at the end of season two where you had to reveal who the witness was, I think to, to hold it off any longer probably would have felt like a groaner. Um, you could have done it. Um, especially when I look at things, you know, how they rush through things now on other shows. Um, uh, it's, you know, but I think you, you could have, we could have, it would have been nice to, to, to see more of them, um, be them, over the course, so, but so that you could um, feel it more at the end when Cassie's up there in the Tower of Titan. If that makes well, sense. Well, I think I think though that reveal is brilliant in the sense that it's a lie, <laughs> in a way, you know. 
Because, which which reveal? Oh, well, the witnesses. Oh, the witnesses. Yeah. 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 Well, they all believe it. Sure. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's why it's so compelling, you know, because it it kind of launches us off in an entirely different storyline. And when you see all the pieces really fit back together, it was yeah. certainly a piece. But we were not seeing it, and they were not seeing it correctly. Right. So when you when you all filmed this finale, because this it's a question like, for example, when fans go back and listen to like Talking Monkeys, you all when you're talking about this episode, uh, it's hard. Like, did you at this point when you guys when this episode aired, did you were you still thinking Ethan was the witness or were the wheels already turning? Now it's actually Olivia. Uh, the wheels were were already turning. Um, I In fact, I had told she didn't take it in i I remember on one of the last days we were shooting season two i I was like oh you know it's going to be olivia i said to her um and she was like oh yeah yeah and um to allison to allison and she and she she's spoken about that before she didn't really take it in until really until she she got the scripts um in in um and season four um that that she was really kind of blown away. Well, she's like, wait, no, I'm actually. I'm like, yeah, I, I've said this to you a bunch of times. She's like, no, no, I know, but it was like it was always me. I'm like, yeah, I, it, it it it. There's kind of a came to it from, and we definitely explored hours of conversation of many different ways. One, we explored Sam being the witness. Hmm. Um, we explored it quite a bit and what that would mean. Um, um Ramsey if Ramsey had died at the end of season two um and the last thing Ramsey had said was you know please take care of my boy save my boy and then now it's you know now the boy is the witness what do you do um that was that was one uh that was an early thought on it although emotionally we always deeply considered it should be Cassie and Cole's kid but you also you you know you start to police yourself and ask yourself is that cheesy? Do people just see that coming a mile away? Um, so you have to explore everything. Um, and then I you know there was a um, so when I say mathematically, you ask yourself, well, you're probably roughly around the midpoint now, right? Mm-hmm. What do you want to see? Do you want to see a show in which parents have to go? kill their kid like it's definitely the story you want to you you know there's good drama there but it's like ugh, you know is that ultimately where you want to end up yeah is that your end game so it becomes this redemption story no matter what um and then you know how do you do a redemption story that's not you want to do the good version of anakin skywalker you know um and you know that's scary too because it hadn't it has not been done well so um, that was kind of the thing. I mean, there was many different ways that season three could have started. Um, what, oh, what different ways twenty one sixty three? You know, at one point I remember exploring it. It was like a metropolis. It was like Blade Runner. It was like prosperous. Mm-hmm. Like it was like they had everything was great, uh, or not great, but like under you know a, a tight control of the witness, but it was like, imagine 12 monkeys city. That was like blade runner, um, being run by the witness. So 
but then you're like, we're not going to be able to produce that. We don't have the budget of altered carbon. We have the budget of, you know, uh, Costco. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, um, but there were like, we, we definitely, we went there, um, and talked about it. Uh, you know, and, but it always sort of became, you're going to have to save your son. And so mathematically it meant that the witness had to be somebody else. And then the argument became, well, was it always somebody else or do we change time? Um, and I just thought it was more emotional that it was always Olivia for both, for everybody. That was more emotional for her to not know mm-hmm. that this thing that she hated was her. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was more emotional for Ethan to not know. This little boy's mm-hmm. told he's going to be um, this demon, but he doesn't feel like he's a demon. Mm-hmm. Um, and doesn't want to be. Yeah. Yeah. But do you have any say or not? Right. Yeah. It was funny. Um, my therapist started watching the show. So there's like these portions of my therapy sessions, which I'm happily, happy to admit. That Thank I go you to. so much for uh, saying that out loud. So I have no the, idea what that is. So, and she, so she is like, she's like, I, I need to understand. So was it always Ethan? Was it always Olivia? <laughs> so, it's probably really unhealthy for to talk about your show. But she's like, you know, coming back with uh, all sorts of uh, windows into my soul. Exactly. Uh, yeah. She's like, so what is the deal with your mother you and father? In there? Right. <laughs> yeah. We need to talk about this. Um, yeah. Well, so just to key off really quickly about it, it, Olivia, it always being Olivia. So we have spent a lot of time this season because you really have to reframe, you know, I, I get. And of course, correct me if I'm wrong, sort of the, there are certain things, you know, as we learn in season four that Olivia had to do to ensure her own creation, right? So like when we're watching this season and we see Kirshner at the microscope, we now know what happened. But there are a lot of moments, particularly in season two, whether it's the writing on the wall, you know, prepare prepare because you know prepare cassie prepare her and then she's set you know sending herself to more t visions or she's you know manipulating the pallid man um into thinking he's the one in charge or Mm -hmm. um the visions of titan and luring them so how when you guys had to sit down to write season three and four Mm. how did you all explain frame what season of four olivia was doing this season if that makes sense why was she luring them whether it was well she had to she had to end up where she was right Mm -hmm. so she ended up in a place where she learned she takes over titan kills athan and learns oh wait it's up to me um it was always me then she has to make sure she gets up she gets to that exact same place and you know the 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 amazing part of a loop is well it's kind of spelled out for you because it already happened um so i know that i have to do this and in and the witness is very manipulative like you don't really know why i love that it's like there's something great about the witness being a woman masked and believed to be another man like there's something so insidiously genius about that mm-hmm. um too so it, it kind of was perfect we were adamant about like we needed to see olivia do those things so it wasn't just retcon 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 um 
and that was that was it. We just mapped it out. We knew we had twenty episodes, and we just mapped it out, and you know, very specifically, um, and uh, yeah, and did that. It's incredible to uh, frame her crisis of faith in light of you know it her faith technically being in herself, right? Such a when you look back at that and you frame it you know, in our world and how the, the way that people lose faith in themselves as much as they do higher powers, but to yeah. find out she is the higher power, it's just so twisted. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's great territory that you can't really do on a traditional show. It's what makes the show unique. Um, Before we jump in sort of hitting some of the big scenes, hopefully if you have time in this episode, just since it this is sort of, in some ways, it almost seems like these last two episodes really kind of run together. Um, well, I think 11 runs into it, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like three. a three-part finale. Yeah. The, the ideas and the sort of these themes of, uh, let's take the first one, too, A Memory of Tomorrow, right? It's the title of the episode. This is sort of a, a concept of of deja vu or all of the different ways it manifests itself in the story. Were you inspired by any other works or research, other things that you all had read that kind of fed this idea? You, you're asking about the uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland? <laughs> uh, well, a lot, a lot. I mean, you've got a lot of little Easter eggs, whether it's the the caretaker music that is in yeah oh oh, right right yeah you brought that up the last thing so um not really but kind of um meaning uh so for like the caretaker um we had this brilliant um director named chris byrne um who directs well he's directed all seasons one and two of the most beautiful stuff in american gods which uh if you you know or in hannibal he's just this amazing visual artist and um early in season two i hired him to help me you know it's a very specific um and in season one as well, he helped out with a lot of the red tea stuff. It was like, this needs to be surreal. It needs to be classy. It needs to be weird and dreamlike. And some of the other directors were just not getting that aesthetic. So he ended up making this 12 Monkeys website, which was all about um, how to make the red forest. And he was he was going to make a virtual red forest that we were going to use in the show. And, and on the website, when you went to the front page, he had the caretaker music playing Uh, and i was like he gets exactly what this is um and so uh i just it stuck with me and i was like i want to use that it's so cool and weird and dreamlike um that i just wrote it into 12 and 13 the weird music and then we knew we had to pay it off as this weird song in the 20s that the the kid was listening to on the you know on the phonograph and in in titan so um that's where that came from so that was chris being aware of that artist um knowing what he was trying to do and say about time in the past and in applying it to 12 monkeys and then memory of tomorrow i i guess it probably did come from from uh, uh from Alice in Wonderland. Uh, but I can't remember how and who um, that w- became a thing. Um, 
but sure. I mean, it, it, it seems like that was definitely influenced um, to us. I'm sitting over here kicking myself for not realizing the visual parallels with Hannibal right now. Yeah. With the Red Forest. Because Hannibal, like, visually just makes me so happy. Well, but thinking yeah. about like the raindrops, sounds like you could do some therapy too. Finale and, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no one is denying that, Terry. <laughs> um, yeah, but like even the raindrops and stuff, and just like the the little details that they pay attention to in that. That's yeah, it was beautifully shot. I, I'm kicking myself. Um, I'm telling you, love it. Um, yeah, it, it's beautifully shot. Yeah. So the other, I mean, just since this episode the, is we have, you know, um, just taking from Alice in Wonderland, if we could talk, if we could jump to talking about Lillian, um, mm. because she's actually a character that quotes <laughs> Alice in yeah, Wonderland she, in this story. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'll, let me just put a pin in. I don't want to jump ahead because the first time we see her is, you know, we go from these idyllic christmas you're giving fans everything that they ever wanted and then we start to see is it that time is breaking down is it because lillian can communicate with cole because he's a gin um but things start to freeze and we see her standing in the street and then he goes to see her um can you tell us a little bit um i mean i've heard before in other interviews like how fun it is to let Madeline Stowe get to play the crazy this time in the story <laughs> after having to be the straight woman um, in yeah. the film. But now that we've met so many other primaries, how does Lillian, how did you all think about how Lillian fits into sort of this, like the pantheon of primaries? Because she does seem, she kind of seems like the Yoda or one of the Yodas of primaries. Uh, I think she's a Markridge. Um, she's one of, she is on the Jennifer line. Of she's oh, in the family, wow. yeah. Um, and I we had it in the script, but it felt a little tiny town, so I took it out. Um, but she, yeah, she was like, I believe we worked it out, like, because she killed her family eventually. We had figured out that she would escape the asylum and have another child, but um, yeah, she was a Markridge, so she was part of the whole Jennifer. Goinsy part of it all. And then, you know, it was about time collapsing and, and Cole and her being, you know, we wanted her to be like the Obi-Wan Kenobi of primaries, like someone who really was much older, much more um, in tune with it. Um, it's funny when you watch the episode, man, the episode just zooms along. It feels like it's like a 90 minute episode packed into 43 minutes. And <laughs> I, I wish it was, I wish we had time to breathe more. Um, but um, but yeah, that was the idea that she would be his guide. Um, so she had to be one of the greatest of them all. Wow, and she's related to Jennifer. That is so cool. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Look at you on that for a hot minute. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so she, but you know, she's more knowledgeable. On the other hand, we've met some crazy primaries, right? Like we met Kyle Slade. Mm-hmm. We've met. She murdered her family. Yeah, she's kind of nuts. So it's, I mean, I, you know, I guess we all deal with sort of the idea of our family being ripped apart by the Red Forest in different ways. But she seems, on the one hand, seeing that puzzle from above, on the other hand, particularly frightening. Um, 
it's one thing I noticed, and maybe this wasn't intentional, but you know, she says, "Go down the rabbit hole, drink me." It's like an you know explicit yeah. reference to Alice in Wonderland. The vision. So when when Cole actually does um, drink the tea and is going through the hallway, almost as a representation of traveling through the time stream through his consciousness. It reminds me of the Hall of Doorways in Alice in Wonderland after she finishes the tea party. Um, oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of art, you know, of, of that moment. And it just hit me on re- – I was like, wow, really? So I don't know if that was happy accident or not. But um, I think some of that is – yeah, is happy accident. But also just all of the artists, artists involved in the show, you know, um, weaving that sort of aesthetic into it. So – yeah, it makes sense. That would be a part of it. Um, if we can turn to that whole when Cole takes that trip. Yeah, hold on. I got to pause you because yeah. uh, I looked at – I'm just on my Gmail right now. I was like I, – I wanted to confirm that it was Lillian Markridge. And yeah, we, I, I, um, I'm looking at uh, – originally they wanted to even bill it in IMDb as Lillian Mar. I was like, no, let's just leave it a little bit just to keep it open. Um, but then Lillian Markridge came up as a possible 405 story. I'm in the, like, the writer's room notes now. I'm sorry. I'm deep diving while you're oh, talking. Oh, no. Great. I love it. And yeah. it, says, uh, it says 405 Lillian story. Uh, it says there's this, this is the writers talking. I think I was up on set. Um, and it, what's weird about these, and said so someone should publish these. I mean, uh, basically, everything that was ever said in the writer's room, we had this writer's assistant who wrote it like, like there were a court stenographer. Like it is everything. Like it tells you who said what, what question was said. And there's literally, I don't know, 2,000 pages of this, right? Um, but this is Kristen and she's like, there's a story to be told in episode five, 405 involving Jennifer in an asylum in 1963. And maybe Lillian is there. We get Madeline back who was who wanted to come back on the show. Um, this would be an episode where we do Don't Drink the Red Tea. Um, to do this, what, there's a promise of Anne's. Anyway, there's a, there's a, we, we, we definitely went down the rabbit hole bringing her back and pairing her up with Jennifer. Um, there you go. Ah, oh, that would have been really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, those notes would be so fun. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just forward a bunch to you guys. You guys could do a podcast on – you will not believe the shit we read. Also, we know um, – I mean, <laughs> we know people that make websites. Right. <laughs> like me. Right. <laughs> Who could, you uh, know, I mean, spearhead. So many of the – like there's – I mean, hold on a sec. Let me just pull up that page again um, and tell you how many pages that was. This was – this is 10 pages of notes. Um, I mean, a, a daily a daily amount of notes came with a table of contents. Um, so, like, they would write up the notes, and then, but the first page of the notes would be the table of contents as to where. So, like, this is, this was, for this episode, was Jennifer's Red Tea Trip. Uh, one, Elliot's, Elliot Jones, The Six Day Marriage, Reasons Jones Left Raritan. Page two. What is Elliot's main motivation? Ego, <laughs> ambition. Page four. What is Hannah's point of view? Page five. Hannah knows Jones is dying. Page six. So it's like, these are all like, yeah, they're pretty fun. Oh, it's so great. I mean, yeah. 
Also, I'm not sure we know any nerds who really like to read. Right. <laughs> I would I be like careful. imitating it first. Yeah. It's, it's starting to be like that one time in Bandcamp. It's just like, <laughs> can only go back, I mean, for four years. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, so let's move forward. Yeah. yeah so we've got, we've got that amazing uh, – it's basically it's a new form of time travel that we haven't seen on the show before, right? It's right. Cole – so is it – the correct way to frame it, Cole is tapping into the time stream using the T to travel through his own subconscious. Like yes. he can only his, go through his own consciousness. Yeah, his own timeline, yes. And of where he's been before. As opposed to season four, Olivia using the time stream and she can jump into other people's minds, including her own. Right. Well, she's the witness. She's way more. She's all amped up and using Titan. So she has way more power. And, and she's kind of lurking in that yes. zone. Because we needed that to be a limitation that you couldn't just do this whenever you wanted. And in, and in 301, you hear about, um, I think Hannah says to him, you know, I can hear you at night, you know, when you drink the red tea trying to trying to find Cassie. Um, we can hear the screaming. We, w- we went down the road of um, – and, and if we had more time, we, we would have seen that it's not working. Remember, remember top of 301 is mm-hmm. Cole's just scouring 2163 trying to get to Cassie. But mm-hmm. there was also quite a big storyline where he was drinking the red tea at night. He wasn't sleeping. Aaron Stanford wanted to play – him with red stained teeth in, in 301 oh, uh, wow. because he was drinking so much of it. But I felt like that would be terrifying to look at for an hour um, <laughs> and ruin his handsome face. Um, but uh, but we, 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 we had to go down the road of making sure that made sense that this wasn't an option for you, you know? Right. Cause that, I mean, if you're Cole at the end of this episode, you're going to torture yourself over the choices you made. Right? To go after Ramsey. So that, right. yeah. Um, what is really cool now on Rewatch is it's the two gens facing off in that corridor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, you're right. Um, Good point. Yeah. So is there, you guys kind of picked out some key Cole moments. Um, and it's really fun that Jennifer remembers what right as a primary she can remember <laughs> that he told her i'm, I'm always, always gonna, gonna call, call you <laughs> right um was there any thinking that went into picking those those particular moments um for cole's journey as as the big moments for him that he would be right because you guys kind of it's cassie it's ramsey it's the first time he meets jennifer well, you want it to be a we wanted it to be a love letter to 12 monkeys to what 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 you had seen before um, that because we weren't entirely sure if we were going to come back. So it was a nice way to kind of go back and look at the series and how far they've come. Um, so that was, that was one of the, you know, and then it was like picking Jennifer. Um, I think he had, at one point he had jumped into himself, um, you know, in the night room when he's looking at the corpse and he, kind of grabs his head and you're like oh is that because he's having a paradox mm-hmm. um that that was the moment he jumped into and that's why he was doing that um oh. i forget why we didn't do that i, mean, I think maybe because it, it said it wasn't him um and we wanted to keep that out there a little bit longer um mm. so yeah there was a bunch of bunch of reasons to uh to to uh to go look at those particular scenes got it 
Um, so then they're able to uh, undo, they're able to, they get their redo. They're mm-hmm. back in 2044. Everyone's point of view is crazy. <laughs> if you think about these three people talking in a room, you've got Jones, Cole, Cassie. Cole at that point is remembering everything for two years. For Cassie at that moment, that it's only one year of their mission in 1957. And then you've got Jones who had this amazing like cigarette hanging out of her mouth with her dog and firing a shotgun at scabs. Right. Um, <laughs> It's it's the, also the first time we hear her call some, someone that she calls the dog a little shit, which little is going to be a big clue. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's some great Jones getting to be kind of a badass um, in that montage. And so you're bringing all these characters back together. Everybody's got different perspectives. I think there's even a deleted scene where Cassie's asking Cole what what happened when the yeah. first time you did it. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, how did you approach sort of like wringing out the maximum amount of angst there? Um, and there's that, there is that scene that got cut. Um, but it's just a lot of crashing together of a lot of different points. Yeah. I mean, we only, I think we only cut it for time. I mean, we would have gladly have kept that scene. Um, happily, uh, it was just, do we have the runtime for it? Um, you know, um, I, it, it, it's it's a lot less calculated than than you might think. Um, it, it, it was more about um, organically telling that um, and and tracking Cassie's point of view. I think is super important. You know, mm-hmm. like her. What does she remember? What does she not remember? You know. Yeah. Um, can we go to Jennifer's all time classic yeah. <laughs> leadership speech yeah. moment? <laughs> So they're, you know, they they decide they're going to go and try and save them, which is really interesting given that Lillian warned Cole, you got to let your brother go. Right. Um, And saying that this loop must be broken. Um, And he kind of, you know, loyal to a fall, ignores that. That sets up Jennifer's. To me, this is one of my favorite classic Jennifer pop culture giving the speech right playing a role right several roles so did you was that i know sometimes you all did you wrote that scene and sort of like how did how did that come about yeah i just i don't know i i i i I, I, we needed to give jennifer a big moment because she was so absent in in the finale that when you she needed something fantastic one great jennifer scene that um and i just remember we, you know, I think we said, well, it's a spe- she gives a speech, should Jennifer ask speech? I'm like, well, how, wouldn't it be great if you mashed up all those speeches? Um, <laughs> Independence Day and Braveheart and Lord of the Rings. Um, it was, I think it was much longer at one point. There was like two others in there as well. Um, so, yeah, it was just, it, it was just that to to shine a light on the uh, on the speech trope. Um and ha- and then have it fail, which I, I quite like too. Is that they kind of all just walk away? Um, I love Barbara going. What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> yep, I That's love it. I love that. Like the Henry the Fifth St. Crispin's Day speech doesn't work, but Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure does. Right. Like- <laughs> <laughs> That's what carries yeah. the day. Yeah. Right. She also, every time Jennifer is is playing that role or is using, you know, words that are not her own or being authentic, it always just comes back to smack her in the face. And it, it never works. The fortune cookie stuff doesn't work. The, yeah. The pop culture stuff doesn't work. Like, 
Yeah. Her journey is so cool of like learning that it's your empathy and your character and, you know, who you are that's going to get you through this and not like all of these um, like niceties and um, cliches. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of uh, uh, I'm currently in the uh, CBS MacGyver writer's room, which is uh, is a place I'd never thought I'd find myself. Um, And (laughs) Uh, I, um, I actually, uh, I brought, uh, I'm mo- it's mostly a, a staff that, that I inherited. Um, and, but I brought Travis Fickett, who you know, of course, from 12 Monkeys history, mm-hmm. uh, onto the show. And we will very often do those, do a whole bunch of pop culture references <laughs> and nobody gets it in that room. We're like, really guys? Aww, really? Boba Fett? You guys don't know Boba Fett? Come on. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's well, nerds. It's a different. They, well, they're they're nerds. They're just different kinds of nerds. Um, right. So, but it but it is funny. We're 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 Jennifering it quite a bit. <laughs> I love that. Just goinsing it up in there. Huh? Um. Know. So we too many snacks all the way across the <laughs> all if, Um. If we could go and talk about Titan, because. Yes. Uh, we actually oh no don't don't no damn it now you're gonna make me do that um it is one i think it's one of the most true like original how did they come up with this idea crazy sci-fi parts of this show yeah um how did you guys it's a time traveling city if do you remember sort of what the genesis of that was well, it wasn't always a time travel city. It was just um, – it was a place that they were going to be um, – they were going to be lured into, to go to, and this in this – and the shit was going to hit the fan. And I think at one point early on, um, Chris Munfett uh, pitched. He's like, well, what if as they're going into the city, there's like a ring around the city that they cross – and then you come to realize that ring is to, is designed to transport the city uh, through time. And I was like, remember that landing? Be like, I don't know how you could you could transport the city. Like that just seemed like such a big, big idea. But then uh, you know, it was like a few episodes later. I was like, you know what? That's exactly what it needs to be. And then I'm like, well, then I was like, what if Elliot Jones brought it in to construct it? And, uh, you know, there are just these – on top of these towers are jo- – you see Jones's machine. You see – you know, you can't see them because they're so high in the darkness. But once they turn on, you realize, oh, and then they all – it just became this organic writer's room thing. And then once we knew that, we knew, you know, that's why when Hannah in 12 goes to scout ahead, she's like, we, I scouted – it wasn't fucking there mm-hmm. um, because it hadn't splintered there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so – uh, it just became, yeah, this cool thing. And then once we had successfully shot that and it became such a big part of this, uh, of the finale of that thing powering up, we knew it just had to stay a part of the show forever because it was so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do the Aramaic symbols stand for anything in particular on the floor? And we also see them when Olivia drinks the tea at Monkey Mansion. Yeah, they're they are the numbers of a clock. It's yeah. not. It's like an altered ancient Aramaic. I think probably goes back to um, that one 
uh, Middle Ages primary, uh, what's his name, from uh, 408? Oh, Andrews? Yeah, Andrews. Yeah. I think it, like, it goes back to his his group um, as well. Um, but yeah, they were, they're just sort of, you know, they're the army of time and it's basically a clock. Got it. Um, I do remember cause they're, they're, cause they're Aramaic. They're also kind of Hebrew. And I remember uh, when we screened <laughs> this particular finale in a movie theater, rather than show um, the executives um, just cause normally you send them a link on a shitty streaming site. I, I actually got a movie theater on the Universal Studios lot and showed it to them. This I was like, you guys come. We're going to show you 12 and 13. We made popcorn for them. And it looked great, by the way. Um, and I, I remember I was like, it went over. There there were like no notes. <laughs> That's the way to do it. And then afterwards, one of the, the, the execs walked up to me. He's like, so was the witness a Jew? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I was like... What? No, no. I don't. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I guess. Do you want him to be? I don't know where, where that was going. But he was Jewish, and he's like he recognized the uh, the, oh, the, the, the the symbols. So, um, but yeah. Got it. Oh, got it. <laughs> um, we have the big Cassie remembering. Not every caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And this yeah. phrase stretching all the way becomes like like the expression itself comes to mean so many different things and it's going to come back at the beginning of season three. But it, I know that there's a scientific explanation, right? With the injections, Mm -hmm. but, but we're also going to end this show with characters remembering who they loved, who they cared about, right? In the final epilogue. So now when you watch it, it does seem sort of like thematically like a big moment for the show that it's going to keep coming back to. Um, do you have any thoughts just sort of, th- you know, you, you return to it a lot in some of the final images of the show? Um, well, I, yeah, I just, I kind of, it, it's the, I forget everything that's happened before it, it, in a weird way is its own trope that I was, that kind of drives me a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also don't like the idea of, um, and it's weird because I've heard this about the, the, the series finale is that. Uh, they're like, oh, so do they only remember little bits? I'm like, no, they clearly remember everything. If you're watching that, and she's like, we saved seven billion people. Like she knows mm-hmm. all of it. I mean, I think some of it's foggy because of what happened in time being reset. But I think certainly by the time Cole shows up, then they have one conversation. It's all back. Um, you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. I, I, I I don't love the idea of what, but I I did like playing with that. You think time has been undone in such a way. Um, that maybe a less intelligent human wouldn't remember, you know, but Cassie's like, no, 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 it meant so much. And it kind of ties into the whole, um, theme, I guess, with, Mm -hmm. with, uh, Lillian and then Cassie's statement in the, in the, in the message at the end, which is that, you know, death can be undone, but love can't. So love cannot. And that it, you know, there's something more going on, you know? Love is the fifth element, guys. What are you going to do? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I have to say it's... Uh, 
I don't TV has been a little desolate lately. Um, and so it's, I think, yeah, you know, know, we talk a lot on the podcast about how that theme that it matters, it matters what people do for one another. Um, yeah. and I don't mean to sound cheesy. I just, it is hopeful in a way uh, without being, it, you can be realistic and still hopeful if that mm-hmm. makes sense, you know? So, so, so what did you guys think of Game of Thrones? <laughs> I don't know how much time you have, Terry, yeah. this morning. So, well, go on. Let's talk about it. All right. We don't need uh, to talk about fucking 12 monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> um, Beep, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? About Game of Thrones? I have. I, have, I thought I, that was a joke. <laughs> as I, yeah. As a process, like I, as I'm processing it, and I read all the books, and I, you know, obsessed. So, one of my favorite stories of all time. So I recognize that that brings with it a lot of like emotion expectations, right? Um, and I'm not yeah. somebody who, even though- You've read I, all of them? I read, I read all of them, yeah. yeah. Um, Those last two are rough. Those are hard. Yep. I mean, I can I can like track like when I had a newborn and what book came out, right? Because right, I was yeah. reading at like 3 a.m. No, I read, <laughs> I mean, I, it was one of the, when I first moved to LA, it was the first book, Game of Thrones was, and at the time you could- um, uh, it, they hadn't blown up yet, and you could uh, remember AOL Instant Messenger. Yes, mm-hmm. aim. You, yeah. you could you could just I am George R. R. Martin all day long. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I met him. He was at. Uh, he would sign at this. Uh, I think it was called Dark. Oh, what an amazing bookstore in Sherman Oaks, which I forget what it was called, but it was dedicated only to science fiction, and he was there all the time signing. And he'd give you his email address, and you can email him and. And I am him, and I have somewhere printed out like some two day long marathon where I was like, I know who Jon Snow's mother is, and like way back from just reading that book. And, um, but that, yeah, that's how far back it goes for me. Mm. Um, that's crazy, so, yeah. though. He was like doing, you know, Twitter, like the direct access to writers, producers. And yeah, they don't, he loved well, it. Obviously, you have it. to look at it, but like he was having his own little so- social media thing. Going. Yeah, and it was way before. Even Storm of Swords had come out. It was like, I think only the first book and Feast for Crows was just coming out. Um, and it was starting, they were starting to become a, they were never really a huge phenomenon until HBO started airing them. But yeah, those were, yeah, that yeah. first book is one of the great books of all time. Yeah. So I, my layers of disappointment are, I think, ultimately like threefold. Um, I, <laughs> I love, like, taking something that's fantasy and, like, freaking dragons and knights and magic and, mel- and like, combining that with what were really sophisticated political themes was basically, like, m- my most happiest place for a story. Like, all of the things that I love. And so, the at the end, I can't really tell – it's so muddled what it was trying to say politically – and or it is such a pessimistic worldview, but I'm not sure it realizes it's a, at least the TV show realizes it's a pessimistic worldview that I was like crushed from that part of that, the way that it unfolded. Obviously, the character turns and plot stuff was so like, I just felt like what it was so fast that I wanted, I was throwing objects in my room. You're talking about Dan- <laughs> Danny burning the city? Uh, that in particular yeah and yeah. that's and that's not because i can't 
I can't see where you get there in an outline on paper, right? Like I'm not I'm not saying like, oh, I wish that that hadn't happened. That's different than saying I don't understand how you got there. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, frankly, I, I think there's an emotional piece of it. Like as a woman watching a fantasy story where women finally got to be have equal roles to men, right? Like growing up, I never had stories where women were the ones riding the dragon, right? Or the ones, right? We had the big political battle at the end. I really think that the female characters got short shrift in this season. And then you see, right? Like they only had 22% of the lines. And then you start to be like, maybe that feeling is actually tied to some of the story choices they made and who's talking. And mm. so that's my three layers of abject <laughs> depression and disappointment <laughs> with that season. How about you? Me personally, or, or um, I, you know, I think it, I don't know why it was so rushed. It, it felt like the whole season could have, could have been, the Night King, and then if you wanted to do the next part of it, that should have been its own season. The mm-hmm. story of the Mad Queen. Um, mm-hmm. I the turn itself does not bother me. I kind of felt like it was she was always going there, and I and I felt like they had they had certainly given you glimpses of. I don't know. I thought Danny was kind of an asshole I, for a long time. Um, so, but uh, when specifically when she burned. Um, the Tarleys. I was like that. And you knew for me, I was like, Oh, that's where they're going with this. Um, it was so ruthless and cruel. Um, in that I felt like they had hinted that way, but it's undeniable that when you get to it here, you know, uh, 90 minutes after the night King, you're like, Whoa, what? You're like whiplashed. It's, it's, it's a hard, um, needle the thread, you know, so it, it needed 10 episodes to lead to that, you know, and I don't know why they had that option. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were all like, let's just get this, get this done, or they didn't feel like there was enough to do in between there. So I think it became obvious that they just wanted out. I, I mean, I can't I don't prove what... that, obviously, but I just, you know, I, I just think that they were just done. I don't know why, that. Why would you be done? The. Yeah, I don't know. There maybe there's some other story to this that we don't know, or they, it was just a creative, you know. Look, there's a different creative call. You know, I think. I mean, well, I it know was, they were offered though. I mean, they've acknowledged, right? The, the creators have acknowledged that they were offered more episodes, more seasons. Like HBO didn't want to end it, and they were just like, "Nah, we only need thirteen. Like first seven and eight, like we're good." Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know why why you do that. Yeah, I thought her turn. I mean, I I don't think it was it was definitely out of nowhere in that episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it was out of nowhere in general. I think I'm surprised that she started with the innocence. I can much more see it. Like, even if it was in the exact same context as it happened, that she, like, would start with Cersei and then just get, like, rage, you know, and go to everybody. But the fact that it was just like, you know what? I think we should kill people. (laughs) Like, I thought was weird. Um, I think that Jamie and Cersei got shortchanged with just like a totally blase ending. Yeah, that was weird. I yeah, I think they, that if they were going with the Mad Queen, right? They didn't make her crazy enough earlier. We like right. she was going through a lot. Um, you know, granted that everyone she had on her journey had been killed. Um, and you know, now this weird Jon Snow thing threatened her. Like, I, I get it, but like, 
it takes a certain level of insanity. Yeah, to which do is, that, and which they is use grief, and that's not the same thing. Yeah, it's not the same mm-hmm. thing. And 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 her dad was legitimately mentally ill, right? Like you know, so I, I felt like they needed to at least hint at that. Like her dad, uh, the Mad King, would talk to people who weren't there, and right? Like, yeah, you kind of needed to do that for a season. Yeah, they showed some cruelty and impulsiveness, but I don't think they ever showed just, like, outright insanity. Yeah, which, and I think that's the the hard pill to swallow is Danny is just an asshole. Exactly, Um, and that's kind of like... Well, well, here's the the thing, though. Um, I think you can point to many other characters because this is, like, a feudal society, right? It's a bullshit system. Right. So like whatever, whether you're rooting for the Starks and and I felt like that's a theme that is even more in the books, right? Like it doesn't matter whose flag you're flying under. It's still the common people who get, who die and starve. Right. So like in, in an essence, even if you're rooting for the Starks, like what are you actually cheering for as an audience? But there are many characters who have all the way back to Ned Stark, to Rob Stark, who execute people for not for not being loyal, for not following orders. And so who the narrative chooses to call out for that and and in some scenes portray that as, well, that's just the burden of leadership. And in other scenes portray it as, oh, that's a sign that she's crazy. Right. That's the part that I'm a little like, well, pick, a, li- pick a link. Well, you know what? The thing is, yeah, but I mean, it's, 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 there's, it's one thing to cut the head off of one deserter and then I mean, the bottom line is children, and that and that was that was the thing that Ned Stark was like. We're not doing that because he could have killed her as a child, and none of this would have happened. Oh right, yes, Remember? yeah, absolutely the term. But I'm talking about like with the Tarleys. I'm like, well, oh, the Tarleys. Yeah, but that other guy. I, I don't know. It, it, I felt like I don't know. I, the second I saw that, I was like, oh, she's going to be the Mad Queen. That's where they're they're going with this. Mm-hmm. I, I just, or, or at least. Or at least you needed to believe that up until a certain moment, and then she makes the right choice, mm-hmm. and 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 whatever that is, um, which could have been a, a way to go as well. But yeah, I you have know. two more like random qualms. Like <laughs> when you look at the Varys scene, like exactly when did a dragon, like dragon fire, become a sniper rifle? <laughs> because like everyone was standing within like two yeah. feet of that. It didn't. Uh, that wasn't a good way to. <laughs> No. I'm not. I'm not sure that felt like an unnecessarily gratuitous. And they were all cool with that. Yeah, they were like, yeah, let's just nuke them. Yeah, then, we'll all just stand here and watch. Then also, Tyrion. they're like, Bran has the best story. Bran, Bran, Bran. I'm like, how many times has this person in this wheelchair said this season he is not Brandon Stark? Yeah, but that's the story I, you're I, selling. Like, so weird. What yeah. is? Who is? I know. He? I don't know. I don't know. I don't uh, know. I don't please know. Please be king, weird stranger person who I knows know. history but lets it happen because you don't care. Like I don't. Oh, okay. So the one, the one thing I liked in in that, I mean, I actually hate it, and it made me want to throw stuff. <laughs> but the one thing I liked was, but the, but what bothers me is sometimes when I watch the audience reaction, I'm like, why am I the only person that feels this way? Like when you watch Sam propose democracy. Ugh. And you watch the room, like the council of, what was that video? The council of surviving characters? Yes. Uh, <laughs> when they laugh at the idea, that that's a really powerful scene, right? Because it's like, 
giving us a window into what is a room full of people who mm. actually have power think about the rest of us right but when you, you, you watch, like that scene I I, no 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 meaning meaning i like that it's provocative and it should make us uncomfortable but it also leaves me hating all of those characters and that's a really weird place to end the story where i'm like god you maybe not even like the starks yeah. Also, writers like read the room in 2019. Like that's not- <laughs> well, but I mean, like right, but that's that. There's a piece in there that is a really interesting idea to explore politically. But I don't know if they actually get that, or if we're supposed to think about that. Because then the way like Sansa being crowned and all of that is also framed as triumphant, and I'm like, I don't feel triumphant about that. Yeah. So. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. it's hard to. It, it is a yeah. There's not. I, I, all I know is I. What I had hoped for is to be have like spend the last half hour of that with tears in my eyes, and I didn't get a single one. And even the goodbye with the Starks were kind of weird, mm-hmm. right? They were like, um, <laughs> John's like he's getting onto the boat to go up north or wherever he's going, and uh, he's like, well, Arya, you you could like. You could like visit me and stuff, and she's like, "No, <laughs> no, I'm, I get to. Exp- I'm going to explore the world. Don't you know that's always been my arc? Because I wanted to be um, Captain Jack Sparrow." And uh, I'm like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I, okay, sure. sure. Uh, well, Bran, you're going to be king, so I guess I won't see you again. And then Sansa, I'm not allowed to. I don't know. It, it like, I don't know. And he's just c- goes back. I mean, I don't know. It just felt nothing." I don't like, understand what they were trying to say by the isolation of those characters in the, the pack. End. Yeah, I thought the pack survives together. It's very but, strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you? It is. Yeah. yeah do yeah. you? <laughs> is so? Is this? Is this a, a convert? You know, I, I'm thinking about the the last times you've been on or Sean Treno was on, and it it sounds like you all were always so conscious of back we were talking about whether it was Battlestar Galactica or Lost, the end, that the that yeah. the ending of the story is so important. And I feel like there's kind of a renewed or perhaps new conversation. Should that be an expectation we have of TV shows? You know, if creators have the freedom well, to Well, I end? think if it's a serialized show, yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that the pressure of that, um, of that payoff has – I mean, I felt it um, – it was a gift for us when they said you're going to get seasons three and four and be able to tell your whole story, right? Yes. So, and here's the runway to do it. Here's a tremendous amount of time. Um, we had like 20 weeks in the writers' room, I think, even almost before we shot anything from season three. So, uh, that was just an opportunity, you know, to be like, let's. It's day one. Everybody, get your coffees. Okay, let's talk about how this thing ends. Um, and so I came in with a very rough, rough, rough take on it. Um, and then along the way, you know, you find more things. But yeah, no, the pressure of that was was really bad. And and, and specifically because season three, it was hard not to look at the end of season three with Ethan coming back and saving his parents. You're like, how are we going to do better than this? Um, it's so emotional and feels like the end of the thing. And, um, well, so we were lucky, but, but yeah, I, I don't know how, I mean, I've, I've got to, I've got to think that that there's also just not a lot of big serialized shows that have a, you know, a mission statement. Um, that is what is going to happen. I, you know, when I think of them, I think of Battlestar Galactica, which is 
we're going to get got to get to Earth and save the population. I'm like, okay, well, there's an endpoint there. Mm-hmm. Um, Breaking Bad is, you know, he's going to get caught. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is how is this going to end? Mm-hmm. Same thing with the Shield, you know, with Vic Mackey, which is. You know, again, I, I uh, highly recommend because if you all love Agent Gale, he's you know the number two Dutch. Um, mm-hmm. Dutch, you know, is is how what is going? How, does Vic Mackey pay for his crimes? Um, so you have these big questions. You have to answer them in a, in Game of Thrones. I've never. I mean, that's like Star Wars, but bigger. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's this epic end. It's a tough one to end on a good day. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Should be interesting to see if George writes those books. And oh, I, I think I think it plays out. I mean, I think Danny is always going to be her father in yes. some ways. Agreed. But maybe 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 when you're in, it, it's interesting because when I when I when I think about some of those things in, that they did, and if I thought about them in the context of a book, if I was in their heads, like if I was reading a brand chapter mm-hmm. about the Night King coming for me. Mm-hmm. I might connect to that story, right? Yeah. Whereas here, I'm like, "What the fuck is he doing? He's just hanging out in the in the courtyard, and, and the, the guy's showing up, and, yeah. and then Arya's oh, a superhero." And... Out for half the episode, and we have no idea why. Yeah, he's like, "I'm <laughs> gonna just go do some bird things." Um, <laughs> I think I said later, I was like, "He was just picking out a new throne from Target." Like, <laughs> right? He's like online shopping. I mean, what is he doing? I don't know. Was he leading the night? Did the Night King see the birds and, and it led him? I, I, I forget. I have to watch it again. But um, but so I think in the context of a book, maybe this would would have worked better. I, I don't know. Yeah, I um, mean, or at least be, being more in Daenerys's head because we actually weren't a lot this season, mm-hmm. which I think no, was, it was like everyone else talking about her, right? Right. Which is interesting, yeah. right? Because in the books, you normally didn't have the point of view of the person in charge, but. But that's also because you didn't realize who the story was really about at the beginning. So, by the way, all the Twelve Monkey listeners that have been <laughs> tuned into this podcast <laughs> who don't watch this show are going to be like, "What the hell?" <laughs> we'll do timestamps. So, yeah. Terry, Spoiler alerts. Terry, do you have a few minutes just to answer some? I, I, yeah, I have as okay. much as you want. Keep okay, going. so. We before we ask you some of our lingering big picture season two questions, we got to talk about since this is a show that nails its end game and the questions that it raises, one of the biggest WTF moments is the mother scene. Yeah. At the end of this episode. Yep. Um, what were your thoughts sort of about how you wanted to end on that note? And the pallid man is like at peak creepy. And it's just, it's like one of my favorite TV moments of all time. So what were you, you wrote it. <laughs> so tell yeah, me. no, I, it just needed to be, make you feel icky. Um, <laughs> it, it was, yeah. And then we had to shoot it. You know, we shot it in this, actually the, um, the asylum, Lillian's asylum, is the same uh, location as that theater, that weird theater with all the people. It's called, it's called the Scottish Rite, and it's in Hamilton, um, and uh, it's uh, on it, it's in Handmaid's Tale all the time. That location and that theater too was in Handmaid's Tale. Um, uh, it it just had it had to be weird and perfect and and 
And, you know, I, I think it needed one last who was the witness fake out. Because I think in 12, you're certainly wondering if it's Cole, mm-hmm. you know, if you're watching it right, you know, and he's at the house and there's, a, you know, and you've been following stories like, is Cole the witness? Um, then I think you get to this and you're like, who is this person in the scarlet robes? And then you're like, oh, that's the pallet man. Like, that was the, the gist of, like, what you were supposed to feel when you read it. It's like he pulls the hood back. It's like. Oh, no, don't tell me it was him. (laughs) Right. Um, And then he's like, no, 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 it's not. It's not me. And then you're like, what is going on? Um, And I think some people, you know, there's this thing and and this goes into talking about endings is some writers hate if if the audience can get ahead of what you're doing. Um, And certainly if you watch 212 and you watch them have sex, you're like, oh, the witness is their – you could say the witness is their kid. You could see that coming. I don't think that's bad if you do it well, you know, Mm -hmm. because I I think the writer – most writers have an instinct of, oh, if they see it coming and then that's what I give them, then they're disappointed. Well, not necessarily. Sometimes they're like, I knew it. That's great. That's still a cool twist. Um, And I think sometimes that happens – you could see see that – that happened um, in other movies and shows. You were like, oh, they they were worried that the the, the the more satisfying answer was something that the audience could see coming, so they didn't go there. Yeah, um, but also, you guys kind of twisted it too, though. With you know, when you undid it, we just assumed that Cassie was no longer pregnant. So then, what happened? Right, you know, exactly. and then it's like, yeah. wait, oh, twist again. Like, like yeah. you said, I mean, you were telling a story and. The story made sense. And there are, there are twists where it's like the audience figures it out and they're like, oh, my God, if they do that, it's going to be so dumb. And then there are ones where it's like, yes, let's figure out how they're going to get there. And I kind of think it has to do with the, the groundwork you've laid up to that point, whether people think it would be a good twist or a bad twist. And it's not whether they figured it out or not. It's just whether or not it connects to the story. Right. Right. I'd rather it make sense than be a surprise. Yes. You know, yeah. I mean, Why? yeah, and I, I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you can sometimes have twists like this one and you look back and you're like, oh, it totally makes sense. Right. But I would rather I'd rather have had figured it out and then have that. I knew it moment than have it be a, a surprise just for the sake of being a surprise. And then you sit there and you're like, but that doesn't even make sense. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Which is happens quite a bit these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Um. Yeah. So that was that was it, and, I, and it was just a great cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Was to separate the two, and that they've they've admitted that they love each other. They have had this relationship, and now you tear them apart, and you have to wait. I don't know what was it a year and a half for it to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was it was, and we we didn't know if we were coming back. So it kind of. You got the sense with Cole getting into the machine and going to 2163 that if we were canceled at that moment, um, maybe he got there and saved her. Um, but man, that would have sucked. That, yeah. was, that would have been not a good way to end the series. Could have, though. I mean, it could have been a powerful, like, oh, it was, it was all about that all along, but it would have been weird. Yeah. Now, you directed 301, and because Mm. of the way season three aired just over one weekend, um, there isn't as much out there just in terms of podcasts and discussion. So one question I had, because we'll be covering that next, obviously, this is way before the television show Handmaid's Tale. Were you influenced at all 
writing or directing 301 by the book Handmaid's Tale? Because just some of the like Um, imagery, costuming, like, right? Women being a vessel, right? There's even a line that- um, No, no. No, not at all? I'd never read it and that that had not come out yet either. Um, It was just, in fact, I think we were shooting it simultaneously, actually. I think some of our crew was working, had just wrapped it up. Um, the, no, the, the, actually the, the, her look came from, of all places, some of the handmaids in, in, in actually of all, of all things, uh, Phantom Menace, um, oh, the, wow. the, the, uh, or even Game of Thrones. Um, I actually, I think some of Game of Thrones as well. We, 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 we wanted to make, I mean, we were doing that same thing. They were, it was, you know. They, she was being tended to by subservient mm-hmm. uh, men and women. Um, so we wanted this very specific look. but in, And we wanted it to be, even though it was 2163, it had an old but new feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just something that we came up with. Yeah, those, they, she did, Joyce did an amazing job with that wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. It's just watching a now and thinking about the book and the whole you know they're basically treating cassie like a vessel um yeah there's definitely yeah so interesting okay um did you have time for just some quick um sort of lingering season two questions don't worry worry about time like keep you can do your thing all right so we had um both on the podcast and then also just sort of in the fandom questions about now when we watch agent gale and fatherland in 1961, if he knew what was coming because of his interactions with Cassie and Cole in 1953. And I guess, Beep, help me articulate, our our read was that he does. He knows, yeah. he, he remembers. Yeah, absolutely. We, we didn't he think his up. loop changed. Because he slips words. up. There's he no sli- loop that changed. That's no. sort of the question. He always no. survived in Berlin. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, wait a minute. Let me think about this for a second. This... Yeah, he always survives. Oh, no, they made the change. Hold on a second. Wait a minute. Now I'm getting confused. Because when he, in Berlin, he says to Cole, oh, right you know what? That, he's we've known he's each talking other a about. Long time. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, hold on a second. You're right. We've known each other a long time because he's talking about the season three, mm-hmm. 305 that episode. That hasn't happened yet. Right. For Cole. Um, right. 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 So I guess he has always always done that although it's uh, though to be fair the first time he shot there's exit wounds the second time he shot you see him shot there's no exit wounds so hmm. they've made a change uh in that loop so yeah i think there was a change made there so then he didn't know he did not know he did not know i don't know guys something like that right <laughs> what's the point <laughs> No, because if he did know or didn't know, it doesn't matter. So, a, a, a way to, to to kind of look at the the big cycle, uh-huh. right, is that there's all these tiny weird loops that change along the way. It's not like a tight circle, mm-hmm. right? That it's always in flux. It's mm-hmm. always kind of like some things are changing. Sometimes she went to Titan. Sometimes she didn't. Things played out weird, but the gist of the cycle always remains the same. Um, that there's probably hundreds of different inter- iterations of that cycle. Um, that that are are changing, but little changes. For instance, Ramsey and the eye patch. 
um, and that and that Cassie dies. Well, you know, everybody's like, well, if Cassie dies and the witness isn't born and then the cycle doesn't happen, it's like, no, but because of this whole thing is so strong, that exists as a tiny little loop on the big loop um, that, that remains in flux. Does that make kind of make sense? Kind of because time is unraveling either way and it's got it's, bigger it, things to worry about. It's not really – it's stuck in the loop, but the loop can change along the way in, in little flashes of like a lightning storm. You know, it, it, it has all these little bits of, of storms that someone dies, but they're brought back. But the, the majority of the cycle always remains the same. Got it. So, yeah, because that was the question, like, how would Hannah be able to die in 212? Right. You know, for Cole to still be standing there. How would Hannah be able to die in 212 for Cole to be able to Right, because yeah. that 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 loop, that mini loop always exists on the big loop. That the big change is pulling Cole out, but as long as there's a James Cole to make a change, there's there's a James Cole. You know what I mean? That's why he had to be erased. That's why he's the center of it all. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, though, from, from the strictly, like, linear standpoint, she just hadn't had him yet. Right, but... In her timeline. So when right, she dies, she, like... Right, but there's a James Cole... Right, a version of him already exists. Exists in order to undo that, so therefore, that in that mini-loop, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Okay. okay. So when we're watching... <laughs> fa- yeah, no, no, no. So, no, no, no totally. Um, in Fatherland... When Agent Gale says to Cole, I've known you a long time, he is referring to his experiences with them in 1953, which have happened for him, but not yet for Cole. Yes. Okay. And there is a version of the events, but maybe not the one we're watching in Fatherland, where he makes the decision to go to Berlin, even though he knows. And he makes the adjustment. Yes. With the vest. Got it. Okay. 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 Um, Another... <laughs> I mean, we all these things we talked about in the room and drew up on giant boards and rationalized and argued about. Um, but ultimately, we were able to. The fact that Cole was the center of it all always was what made those tiny fluctuations um, make sense. Got it. Okay. So our our next kind of timey um, timeline type question is in Lullaby. Um, When we see 2020 Jennifer, and she's coaching Cole through that Groundhog Day loop over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, We we had quite a discussion, I think, that ended up making our heads hurt, trying to figure out, number one, does 2020 Jennifer know what Cole has to do? Yes. She knows. And does she know... From her primary powers or because she's been part of one of of this loop. You're asking, does she know that Cole needs to go climb it in the machine and erase himself? Um, no, but that's another good question. (laughs) (laughs) I told you she knew that. The only thing I feel like she doesn't know is uh, about the battle for Titan because that doesn't change till 407. Right. Why? What do you mean? Why wouldn't she know that? She would know that. But it's not, it doesn't exist yet. It's not part of a timeline. It's her future. 407. Oh, that particular 407? The, uh, the Deacon thing. 407. The knife. Oh, well, she would know about that. Oh, 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 no, no, no. She would, it depends on what moment. Yes, okay. This, this talks, this goes into the fluctuating. Mm-hmm. 
loops within the cycle. Okay. You know, so there are other versions, there are other graphic novels of of seasons one through four right. that play out similarly but different. So in, in my mind, though, this particular on-screen 2020 Jennifer knows about everything except that, as far as big moments. Yes. Got it. Boom, so, I got one. Right, so she's... Kind of. so she's but I mean, it's, it's like, it's it, 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 because... I mean, this is like trying to explain. Um, we're not capable of knowing how this works because sure, it's absolutely. all bananas, right? Anyway, it doesn't time travel will never make sense? Even when people are like, "Well, it's about quantum realities," I'm like, "No, it's not, guys. Guys, nobody fucking knows. Nobody <laughs> yeah. has any no. idea right. how that would work. Maybe Just try sure, to keep your own inf- consistency. That's right? All yeah, that matters. Totally. I mean, there's the whole Avengers Endgame aspect of it, which uh, which I understand even less. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, <laughs> But okay, fine. Like it, they, it's a smart way from doing it. You can pretty much do what whatever you want in that version. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway. Okay, so it wasn't just that she was coaching him from her primary power. She actually knows what he has to do because. Uh, got it. Okay, so that was that was so another. We have another Jennifer question. This yes. one's about old Jennifer in Resurrection. Okay. And so when we have that chicken and egg scene. Mm-hmm. And old Jennifer is saying, I chose n- I chose to leave with my daughters and not go to Titan. But maybe mm-hmm. you could be braver. Our question was, was there another loop where that old Jennifer actually did make that choice not to go to Titan? Or is she simply having a conversation with her younger self as she remembers it played out, such as like a future asshole conversation? And she's trying to get her to do the right thing. Right. Um, yes, I heard this on the podcast. Um, I think the the answer is yes. Exactly. <laughs> you you can um, it, it, that 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 sort of choice is up to you. Um, I like to think, and I couldn't tell you how it plays out right now, mm-hmm. but I would be happy to break it out in a graphic novel that there is a version of that loop in which. She takes her daughters and tries to hide from the storms and it doesn't work and therefore Ramsey and everybody else goes to Titan without the daughters. Mm-hmm. And that some version of this loop plays out um, plays out that way. Just And I like to think of that because I love to think of all the different 12 monkey stories that still could have been told. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it, it could have been the other version that she, she is telling her um, what she needs to hear at that moment. Got it. Graphic novels would be really cool. I want yeah. one. On, I want one just on the keeper. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> oh my god, the keeper. Can I write yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, w- were those all of our big timeline at the end of season two questions? I mean, the the ones that are just really fun is it is just like breathtaking going back and watching, for example, all the Olivia and Pallid Man scenes. Yeah. And how it's what season for Olivia, just the ringer she's putting herself through, right. you know, oh, man, man. Yeah. she hates herself. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, that, ep- that episode where she ends up at the bottom of the pool and you think, you know, and she's playing to the pallid man's ego and you stop and you're like, holy shit, that's season four Olivia who knows exactly what to say to him, right? right. Like, uh, it's so great. Um, and I guess the other question was um, in Meltdown, 
when you have season four Olivia messing with the machine mm-hmm. and she knows the machine is going to misfire and send Sam to herself. Yeah. And then is it kind of a, a, a correct read? Like she needs to go on that path because then she meets up with Ramsey again. And then that's what gets her inside of the facility and kind of unfolds everything that happens in season. Yeah. Three. She knows. Yeah. I mean, she has the benefit of this has already happened. She also has the word of the witness, which probably had longitude and latitude for where Sam lands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's a ton of, uh, information she has and at that point it's all about managing it right she has i have to get here so that i can i can set this course right so i'm gonna go back and and do all the things that i need to do to get there um so yeah got it i mean ramsey and olivia are this really interesting pairing of sometimes their personal interests don't align with the teams that they're on and then they end up working together in season three it's kind of an interesting bookend to them in season one yeah yeah Um, they're you know again if we had more screen time you would have seen a lot more of them back in the past and what their relationship was and there was even a bit of a uh there was a, a scene of sexy time written um that we have somewhere out there where you saw that Ramsey and, and Olivia had a, had a hot moment. Um, there's all sorts of stuff. Wow. But, that's some fanfic idea for folks. Yeah. Next time you get, <laughs> get, get Sean Tretta on and, and he can probably read, re, he will read you the scene. Oh that's my God. so understandable though, considering how isolated they've both been. Yeah. Yeah. Suits. And I think that's exactly what it was. It was is a whoopsie doodle. <laughs> no, it was it was more like you know, yeah, human comfort and sexuality rather than um, you know a real true blue attraction. Sure. And for for Olivia, it might have even been experimenting with with do I want? Do I even want? Can I feel anything with any human being? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, because when we see her in season four, it sure doesn't seem that way, right? right. She's seeking out that kind of human connection. Yeah, we, the, we, my whole theory is that the only other human being she ever really was attracted to or felt anything for was Jones. Um, that was the only person she felt a thing for. Um, and that, again, more screen time, you probably would have seen more of that, too. That's going to make our listeners very happy, Harry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a whole ship, Jones, and I'm not sure Jones would ever even consider going there, but maybe, like, you know, (laughs) um, depending on where where they were, you know, I I think the stakes are so high in this show that you don't really know what you would be doing. Um, But certainly for Olivia, I think Olivia had such reverence for Jones and who she was that they – she definitely was feeling that. There's a cigarette lighting scene that's very sexy. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's coming. And up. we talked. We talked about that. We talked about that. Um, how far do we go with with Olivia's sexuality? Um, and ultimately, um, while we were like, well, it's certainly not uh, textbook straight in that way. It was hard to imagine her having any particular uh, affinity for anything. (laughs) So, except for Jones. 
So mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't that she was straight or gay or anything other than she was Joan sexual, like or 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 <laughs> Olivia sexual, like if she was doing anything, it was with Olivia. Mm-hmm. She's a messed up. She's you know what I mean. She's she's, she's kind of screwy. Yeah, she's raised in a box. Like right. Yeah, you don't come out of yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, and genetically messed with and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um. So our one before we want to hear about your new projects. Our one really uh, you. The show uses the very specific description of the House of Cedar and Pine, what the house is made of over and over again. Was there any inspiration for that? Um, Or was it just sort of that's what someone came up with and then you stuck with it because that was the mantra? Well, I always think it's like those – they're very – they're both very kind of aromatic, aren't they? They're kind of – they both – am I using the right word? They're Mm -hmm. both like – you know, cedar, you can smell cedar and pine. And there's like a, a, a sort of a visceral thing that happens with both of them. Like they're mm-hmm. kind of memory like um, those smells. I used to have a cedar box that I kept these toys in. And when I smell it to this day, I'm like, it's like a memory if I, if I smell it. Mm. So I think that was part of it. Um, yeah, that's, that was kind of, and it was just very specific, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Do you have any other sort of you've um, we've come to the end of season two, launching season three, things people should be kind of on the lookout as they rewatch for season three or. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's the last um, it's the last big Trevor Rabin score um, before Trevor went to go tour. You know, he is the guitarist of yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, Trevor been, did like, all these amazing other film scores, but this was the last time um, because he was leaving um, and Trevor and Paul. Uh, so it really has, especially in 12 and 13, there's this uh, great riff that he uses for some of the big action stuff. That's as good as any big film that's out there. Um, so that's always strikes me as there was a lot of work put into the score in those last two. Um, and, you know, it's just it, – it's where the show really starts to open up. Um, and we're not just going back in time. We're going forward. We're going here. We're going there. We're, it's a love story at, you know, full capacity now. Um, it, it's uh, – uh, yeah, 11, 12, and 13 are I'm, – I'm pretty proud of those. Um, they were like one big 12 Monkeys movie. Um, yeah. Just a way to look at them. Kind of got to watch all three at at, at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell us about what you're working on now. Um, tell us about – we've got MacGyver on CBS. Congratulations. Yeah, that's – Congrats. The, uh, thanks. It, it's uh, – yeah, that's it, that's a, like um, uh, a, a, my, my day job at the moment is um, – CBS uh, I, I had read uh, um, I did I sold a broadcast bunch of broadcast pilots last year and um, I started to get pulled into the broadcast world which I mean you guys know from my writing is not traditionally where I land but they called me in for that and they're like what would you do with this show and I said I just gave a bunch of ideas and next thing you know um, we were in negotiations and so it's it's kind of this um, totally different experience in, in the way that it's not really my show. Um, so I'm sort of just coming in and being like, here's what I would, here's what I would do with it. Um, and they've been great about giving me 
some pretty amazing freedom to to not necessarily reboot it, but but uh, restart a bunch of character dynamics and and change up uh, certain aspects of the show and bring in uh, new characters and whatnot. Um, and it's exciting, you know. It, it's a you know I, I don't watch uh, a lot of broadcast television, um, and so I mean, but when you but we think about it, it's like there's like you know for this show there's eight million viewers on a Friday night of that. That's a that's 16 the times the amount uh, of 12 monkeys you know so it's a whole new world and for me uh, i was kind of raised on the paramount lot when i came out to la i was an intern on all and pa uh, an assistant on the star trek shows so to be back there and be running a show is 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 meaningful um and and they've given me freedom to continue to develop so um uh i'm developing uh, at, at the same time three sci-fi not sci-fi ch- channel but um three science fiction projects one with disney um plus one with uh quibi which is a platform you guys will all hear about in the next six months uh, yeah we've read a lot about that yeah. yeah i think that's going to be made oh you know that one it's um last american vampire mm-hmm. it's going uh, forward uh looks really good yeah it looks like yeah it looks very very good so oh my god that's so but, exciting yeah they love it and they're like we're making this and so um and it so we'll see um it's nothing's official yet but um but that's still going um and then um that's such a fun one and then there's another one I can't talk about. Uh, there's two more I can't really talk about. So there's all this other development stuff going on at the same time. Wait, so is that I, four? Yeah, there's actually – well, there's a, yeah, there's more than oh. that. There's also one animated project, which I'm hoping is going to be <sighs> figured out in the next uh, month, an anime that is super meaningful to me. But we're trying to – finish the rights. Netflix is like, we want to make this. And we're like, yay. But there's like kind of a rights issue that they're trying to iron out uh, in Japan. So we will see. Hopefully that goes. Um, Netflix. Hey, it's know, awesome. Yeah. yeah there's, so we'll see. Okay, wait. We, so just to follow up, um, there's. can you tell us anything about the Disney project? That is that the alien sci-fi one? There are there are aliens. There there's some alien DNA in it. Yes. Okay. So alien DNA Disney Plus. I'm an, I'm I hope that you. I am trying to keep my voice at a regular level about Last American Vampire because I loved it so much and be. Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting you guys read the scripts. Yeah, that's, that's our right. next. Yeah. yeah, that's our next podcast yeah. because I loved it. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, that was uh, that's a blast. Um, yeah, I really I'll just always remember it. your description: more Liz Lemon than Dana Scully, and it mm-hmm. just like that speaks to my yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that yeah, yeah. I yeah, I really hope we get to do that one. It it, it, is, it was an interesting project because, you know, it's the same. It's kind of like the CBS thing when MacGyver. They're like, "Do you want to do?" I'm like, "I don't know. I don't. Not really a vampire guy, but I'll do my version of it." Um, and it kind of it played out okay. You know, it, everybody kind of got on board, and so we'll see. Well, that um, genre needs a bit of a twist if it's going to hang around. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I just want to basically keep track of all of the different music education that he has to go on. Oh, yes. Coming back. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. I love that stuff. Well, yeah. that's just an excuse of, for me to do 
um, fun 80s and 90s needle mm-hmm. drops. So Absolutely. that's why it's on there. That's so funny. So all of these franchises, um, you know, whether it's Avengers Endgame or Game of Thrones or Star Wars, lots of franchises coming to uh, turning points or ends, right? If yeah. you could, If you could write for one franchise out there and you could just pick, what would it be? Ooh, um, it would, it would be a toss up between Star Wars or Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that would be, but you know, it, it's difficult because there's such big franchises. So it's not like you can just roll in and be like, I'm taking over. Um, there's a lot of people involved and I think you, you know, and you have to respect those visions as well. So, um, I think until then, um, you know, there's some stuff that hasn't been made too that I would love to do, but the um, until then, um, I think you know we've got to create some new IPs out there. Mm-hmm. You know, so we'll see. Yeah, thank you so much for taking time. Oh, always, thank you guys for continuing to do four to five hour podcasts every week of, <laughs> of this show, keeping it alive. <laughs> Well, hopefully folks will come will come on and talk to us because I feel like season three is a masterpiece and they're because of the way it aired, there's not as much out there talking about it. So yeah. we'd love to have folks on. I mean, there are some uh, just like masterpiece episodes of television in this season. So you got to get um, Todd on to talk about his transformation into uh, prison, prison deacon, yeah. skinny prison deacon. He, he worked his Whew, ass off man, of that. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, inspiration. Yeah, maybe I'll go put that on and that'll be my like summer workout inspiration. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's like it apocalyptic P90X. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, Terry, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Everyone, thank you very much for listening. If you liked this episode, you can find 12 Monkeys Rewatch Pod on Twitter at 12M Rewatch Pod. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, most of the places you can get podcasts. So feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate all you guys. Again, we want to give a special thank you to Terry Metalis, who is always so gracious with his time and so excited to discuss this show that we all know and love. Thank you very much again, Terry. On our next episode, we are discussing 301 Mother, and we have a brand new panelist to introduce to you that we're very excited about. That's coming up in just one week, so guess what? We'll see you soon.